Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we are back with the next episode of Around the Horn, a monthly fixed income roundtable discussion with UBS Asset Management. As you know, each month we do hear from top portfolio managers and business heads from Asset Management's Muni, Taxable Fixed Income, and liquidity teams. We do hear candidly from them on their views on the markets and what they believe you should be focused on within the fixed income space. So joining us for this month, glad to welcome back Anthony Liotti, head of the Fixed Income SMA Advisory Group. Anthony will also serve as our moderator for today. We also have with us Dave Walzak, Senior Portfolio Manager for Liquidity Strategies, Dave Ignolo, Head of U.S. Corporate Fixed Income Strategies, Anders Nelson, Portfolio Manager for U.S. High Yield Corporate Fixed Income, and Chuck Grande, Head of the Municipal Investment Team and Senior Municipal Portfolio Manager. So with that, welcome to our participants. Anthony, I will pass it over to you to lead today's roundtable. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that. And uh, and thank you for joining all. Uh, welcome to the September uh, edition of, of Around the uh, Around the Horn. I, the, the unofficial um, end of summer uh, has obviously uh, begun. We're a couple of weeks away from the uh, start of fall. <clears throat> I'll just say, looking back uh, on August, by most accounts, August was uh, a fairly challenging month uh, for fixed income performance, um, as, as I'd say the broader industries were negative as the higher for longer narrative sort of set the tone uh, for for most of the month of August, and that narrative has clearly trickled its way into into September as well. I think generally speaking, um, most indices thus as far on the on the 13th of the month as this recording are are in negative territory, but still positive for the year. And I'd say that is clearly being supported by the coupon carry that we've been earning from our portfolios. So um, an interesting note, you know, as we're going to get into CPI, um, you know, from the last CPI report, which was when we, we read right around when we last did this call, um, the, the equity markets have essentially remained flat um, over that time period. Yet I'd say the bond market um, has clearly shouldered much of the brunt of, of that, what I would say that forward-looking assumption uh, of the Fed, and we've seen declines in, in prices. <clears throat> So, uh, you know, turning to, to today's CPI number, um, you know, the print uh, and, and what it means to the broader markets, potentially, I'd say, over the near term, uh, pretty much it was, it was in line. However, I'd say a bit disappointing to forecasters, right, clearly not seeing that strong downward move in here uh, with a slight uptick in the core. Um, it will definitely keep um, another hike uh, on the pad for the Fed, right? So it, at least being priced in. And, and with this release, um, we might get into this a little bit with Dave. Um, you know, when we look at the, the Fed futures are now pricing in a 40% chance of another hike in November. So so passing over the the uh, one later on this month. Uh, as of yesterday, I believe that number was closer to 30%, right? So, so as of today, right, and these numbers clearly change, what we look at uh, regularly is, is a probability screen, the futures probability screen, and, and this changes day to day, week to week, month to month. But when you, when you look at that, the market is really just pricing in around 25 basis point cut, a 50% probability that will cut 25 basis points around May, June of 2024, right? So let's just assume that that remains con- you know, consistent and nothing changes. That's a fairly long time with rates at decade highs, right? That's a long time for the Treasury to keep paying significantly higher interest rates on the debt, right? It's a long time with higher mortgages, 
higher car payments, student loans, which have just come back into the fray, higher longer time for credit card payments, right? a lot longer and higher than we've been used to in, in recent memory. And I'd say that even though CPI was, was in line, we're beginning to see these rates impact everyone, right? Issues in the economy are beginning to percolate. The consumer is beginning to feel the pain. Uh, the consumer credit is slowing. Credit card balances are increasing. Gas prices, clearly, we're seeing gas prices at annual highs, close to $100 a barrel, that is going to be something that we all have to pay very close attention to. And, of course, job openings, right, which have really been driving this economy, are beginning to decline. But yet, from a rate standpoint, this is, is, is a good thing, right? That's what really the Fed's intentions of this were all about, were to slow this, this engine down. I'd say the main question that remains is, is the same, right? And that is, will this lead to a recession, a soft landing, or a hard one? And I'd say with that, only time will tell. But for now, the R word uh, is not being priced into the rate markets at all for, for 2023, right? So let's begin uh, the PM portion of the call um, and allow our um, our PMs from around the aforementioned uh, uh, SMA uh, teams uh, express and share how they're navigating these, these volatile markets, uh, managing risk, and, and, of course, positioning for the future. So we'll start like we always do um, on the short end with my friend Dave Walsack. Dave, you want to take us away? Yeah, great. Thanks, Anthony, and uh, great Thanks. to be with everyone today. Um, so from our side, you know, I guess just staying on the theme of the Fed, um, you know, I think for next week's meeting, uh, we're pretty consistent with the broader view and that we don't expect the Fed to make any moves. Um, but one thing we are going to be paying pretty close attention to uh, is the updated dot plot. So um, I think back to a point you were um, highlighting earlier, Anthony, you know, will we see still that median dot for this year show uh, another 25 basis point hike? I think that's going to be pretty key uh, for, for the market. And then also, too, you know, what is the term or what is the end of 24 um, median dot look like as well? Uh, the last dot plot that was released in June uh, had a rate of about four and five eighths uh, for the end of 24 uh, median dot. So um, I think many would be looking to see uh, if there are any changes to that. Um, looking, you know, at Fed Funds Futures in terms of that end of 24 um, uh, view from Fed Funds Futures, right now it's pricing in about a 4.43 uh, yield, so a lot closer to, um, you know, the June uh, Fed dot plot, but still uh, a little bit below that. So um, it'll be interesting to see again, you know, kind of what happens with that uh, 24 dot next week, and also to the corresponding uh, market reaction. Um, but in terms of how we've been positioning our portfolios, you know, start first on the money market side. You know, we generally over the past several weeks have been incrementally extending out our weighted average maturity, um, you know, looking to take advantage of some of these higher rates that we are seeing out the curve, um, you know, not only in our prime portfolios, but also in our government treasury funds as well. So if you were to look at our WAMs, you know, let's say at the beginning of the summer, um, you know, and uh, again, thinking back to that time frame, we we're just coming off the debt ceiling negotiations. So we were keeping our WAMs, uh, you know, quite a bit short. Uh, we have been lengthening out uh, over the course of, of the summer. So, um, you know, it's kind of what we've been up to uh, within the money market space. And then in our SMA Advantage portfolios, you know, we're still neutral in our short duration treasury. Um, you know, I think given some of the, uh, you know, shifting views and repricings that we've seen, uh, especially in the front end, um, you know, we felt it was good to kind of remain neutral uh, in, in that strategy. But we are looking for, you know, opportunities where it may make sense to extend duration there. Um, you know, we just haven't quite seen enough evidence that uh, kind of tips our, our hand in, in that direction for, for that strategy. 
And then in our uh, ultra short and short duration um, estimated advantage portfolios, you know, our ultra short strategy, we're still um, hovering around three quarters of, of a year. Um, our short duration strategy actually there, we are leaning a touch long, uh, call it about an 05 to a tenth of a year uh, long relative to the benchmark. So that is one strategy where we have uh, begun to be uh, a little bit longer relative to the benchmark. Uh, but I would say overall from a credit standpoint, you know, in both of those strategies, we are looking uh, at names that we hold that may be trading, you know, pretty tight relative to matched maturity treasuries. You know, corporate spreads, um, you know, have generally held up pretty well, and especially those names and issuers that have uh, tightened quite a bit. You know, we are looking for opportunities to kind of, um, you know, take some chips off the table and, you know, at least in the near term, you know, redeploy that cash into some treasuries. So, um, you know, that's something on, on our radar. And, and I guess just to kind of put that into a little bit of, of context, if you look at the one to three year uh, average OAS is presented as a percentage of the yield to worst of, of the index. So just one way to kind of scale uh, the prevailing spread uh, relative to the prevailing yield environment. Um, you know, we're actually, you know, close to, um, you know, lows that we've seen over the past year. Uh, that percentage right now is about 13.5%. Uh, compare that to the average over the past 10 years of a, a little bit over 40%. So, um, definitely, you know, just one stat that we kind of uh, periodically, you know, check in just as a um, you know, way to kind of um, look at the context of, of spreads relative to the prevailing um, yield environment. So, um, but yeah, I think with that, I will turn it over to David Noah uh, to over the corporate strategies. Yeah, thanks, David. You know, on the investment grade uh, corporate side, from just a, a big picture perspective, it, it really continues to remain on, on very solid ground. Uh, the sector really continues to be supported by strong growth in the United States. I mean, the um, expectations for third quarter growth are now uh, projected to be in the 3 to 4% range. And early indications of expectations of what we might see in the fourth quarter for growth are targeting uh, expectations are now looking at 1.5 to 2% uh, positive growth for the fourth quarter. So from a growth perspective, uh, things are, you know, quite good and positive um, after the increase that we've seen in the Fed funds rate over the last you know, 12 or so months. Unemployment remains low. Wage growth remains strong. So fundamentals in corporate America are quite stable. And um, there's been slight deteriorations uh, in some of the subsectors. But in general, um, they've been either better to pass on price increases to the consumers or find ways to cut costs. Um, to deal with the rising inflation that we've seen, you know, throughout the economy. So from that side, you know, we're good on fundamentals and then technicals in the corporate bond market. Uh, similar situation from a, you know, a positive tailwind of the space. We uh, saw very strong supply in the first six months of the year and September historically is a, is a strong month. We're in, we're probably going to come in a little over 100 billion in supply, uh, 125 billion in that range. But there's a lot of talk that the last four months of the year supply will slow either from uh, reduced M&A activity with higher rates, and a lot of companies uh, earlier in the, in the cycle when rates were a lot lower were able to turn out their term out their debt farther out in the maturity spectrum. So really the, they can kind of wait it out a little bit to see, you know, how rates fall down the road in 2024 and, and then go back out uh, into the marketplace at, a, at a maybe a more attractive all-in-yield entry point from, from their side of the ledger. So if we see less supply, uh, demand uh, remains quite robust in the space. Uh, Year-to-date, we've seen a, a little over $155 billion come into the investment-grade corporate bond market. And we're seeing that because yields, all-in yields, are really attractive. We're looking at, um, historically right now, we've been averaging, you know, probably the last month between 550 and a 575 type all-in yield 
in investment grade corporate bonds, intermediate investment grade corporate bonds. Uh, and historically, that's a very attractive entry point. Historically, when we see anything above four and a half percent in all in yield uh, from a long for a long term uh, perspective, uh, it turns out to be a pretty attractive entry point for investors. And so we're we've been sitting in this environment for a while. And I, I think, as I mentioned earlier, with the, with the decent growth in the United States and low unemployment and the technicals being supportive and with the all in yields quite high, it lines up you know quite nicely for the corporate bond market quite well uh, in this type of environment. So some of the things we've been doing for our active intermediate strategy is that we've been definitely extending uh, the maturity profile and duration for these accounts. We've been um, moving out the curve and selling our front-end bonds and going into the, you know, more of the belly of the curve between five and ten years uh, and targeting more like a four and a quarter type duration maturity for the for the portfolio and the active intermediate strategy. And then for the latter strategies, um, you know, they're because they're ladders, and so we, what well, we've been taking some bonds that have been rolling down the curve, and instead of waiting for them to mature, because you know we think this is an attractive entry point from an all-in-yield perspective, and where yields are in general in the treasury market, we've been selling some of these short uh, maturities that are maturing in the next three to six months, and then rolling them out in the ladder, putting them back out in the in the eight to ten-year bucket of the ladder curve for the ten, one to ten, and, and vice versa for the the one to five for the five-year, and the one to three in the three-year. So. Just trying to, you know, caps that all in yields for the clients uh, because we're at the, you know, the, right now the kind of the high end of the treasury yield range that we've seen over the last, you know, six to eight months. And then from a, a sector perspective, we continue to like financials. Um, we're still overweight. The money center banks, uh, two of the favorite names we have in that space are Bank of America and Morgan Stanley. And we also like the, some of the strong regional banks like PNC Bank and U.S. Bank Corp. So, we continue to favor the strong regionals, you know, banks that are over $250 billion on the regional side are in assets um, and, and uh, shy away from some of the smaller regional banks with concerns about additional volatility and increased uh, capital requirements that are coming down the road uh, for the banking sector, you know, across the board. And then in the, in the sectors on the, you know, from a, the, the communication media, we really like the strong, you know, from a, the cash flows and strong fundamentals and, you know, companies like uh, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, uh, you know, credits like that in that sector, Comcast, real strong uh, credits fundamentally that, you know, we're getting a, a nice all-in yield and, and then real solid credit. So we're really, we're not looking to reach and buy cuspy credits just to get that additional 20 to 30 days points more in yield on some of these names. We really are real, very comfortable holding these types of strong companies with the yields we can now get uh, in these names. And then, I mentioned the curve, you know, we're rolling out from the short end into the intermediate part of the curve. And then from a quality perspective, we're still, you know, we're looking for um, some high yield exposure uh, with with that sector as well. I mean, we're, we, we can have up to 10% high yield in the active intermediate strategy. We're, we're running around 2.5%. We just added uh, forward into the model uh, strategy for us for active intermediate. It's still high yield, but uh, our analysts expect uh, another upgrade from one, either Moody's or S&P, which would then put it into the investment grade universe. And so we're, we've added forward into the, uh, the active intermediate strategy for participation for the clients. But in general, we're still very comfortable with, uh, the credit overall from the top down perspective, uh, very attractive entry point, growth is still strong, and we still see steady inflows. So things right now continue to be in the sweet spot for uh, credit on the investment grade side across the board. And with that, I will pass it over to Anders to talk about high yield. 
Thanks, David. Uh, high yield spreads are a little changed over the last few weeks, but liquidity is starting to come back after the summer break. We are still trading close to the tides over the last year and a half, um, which is below the 400 basis points mark for uh, the overall high yield index. Uh, spreads have moved lower over the course of the year, which has more than offset the uh, rise in risk-free rates. And I want to uh, highlight what Anthony mentioned at the beginning of the call, um, which is that the bulk of returns has come from coupon income. Uh, actually, two-thirds of the 7% year-to-date performance is from carry, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're still seeing demand for high yield despite spreads uh, trading in a, a tight um uh, pretty tight in the historical context. All-in yields uh, look attractive at 8.6% for the all-in high yield index and 8% for the shorter and higher quality one to three year double B single B index. Uh, going forward, we will be focused on uh, economic data. Um, rates are in the driver's seat for risk markets and uh, we're seeing an inverse reaction where bad news is good news and vice versa. So the market's really looking for a signal for that the economy has cooled enough for uh, rate hikes to stop and eventually uh, cuts to happen. Uh, we've noticed a shift in sentiment over the last couple of weeks where investors overall have become less uh, bullish and more cautious when it comes to adding risk, uh, especially when uh, compared to the beginning of the summer. Technicals um, on the high-yield side are still supportive uh, given the lack of bonds to buy due to low supply, rising stars, and repayments. Last year, uh, the high-yield universe shrunk by 10%, and so far uh, this year it's shrunk by another 3%. And after the Ford upgrade uh, by Fitch last week, as uh, David mentioned, um, it will only take another one-notch upgrade by either of the other rating agencies uh, for it to become fully investment grade. And that will have a big impact on our index or our universe because uh, it makes up a 2% position in the index. It's the largest issuer. And uh, high-yield inv- investors will, will eventually sell and reinvest that in other high-yield bonds. Uh, in terms of sectors, um, some things going on. Uh, TMT has been topical for a while now uh, for high-yield investors, given some of the distressed names in the sector. Uh, last week, we saw some volatility in uh, media bonds on the back of the story developing with uh, Charter and Disney, uh, selling off initially, but then bouncing back as the agreement was struck. Uh, we're also seeing headlines about labor union talks um, with the, uh, in the auto sector. Uh, which could uh, potentially lead to strikes, uh, but so far there hasn't been much of a reaction um, of either OEMs or supplier um, bonds uh, there. On the primary market side, uh, we've seen a modest pickup in issuance uh, starting this week, really. Um, as highlighted on last month's call, high-yield issuers have already taken ca- uh, care of a lot of the near-term debt, and companies that can afford to wait will hold off from issuing uh, for as long as possible with this higher uh, in this higher rate environment. Um, overall, M&A deal making is down and as slow as it has been in the last 10 years. Um, I think a surprise increase there is unlikely given the higher rates and um, uncertain economic growth going forward. Uh, we have some deals uh, in the market uh, that are expected to price over the coming weeks. Uh, I don't think it will cause too much selling pressure in the secondary market, though, as they've been well televised uh, for, for a few weeks now, and, and uh, funds have enough liquidity on hand uh, to deal with this. Our game plan is to stay the course. Uh, we think risk is still skewed for spreads to go wider from here, um, but that spreads will stay contained uh, to a range. Uh, so we want to be fully invested and collect the carry. Uh, so we're keeping cash levels uh, tight. Uh, given the uncertainty around uh, funding rates staying higher for longer, we still like our up in quality uh, stance in the portfolios. We hold about 80% in double Bs and higher 
with the balance in uh, solid single B credits. Uh, the short duration high yield strategies yield 6.8% with a duration of two years, and um, it's rated double B minus on average. The crossover strategy is uh, tilted towards IG, yield 6.2%, uh, has a duration of 2.8 years, and an average rating of triple B minus. That's it from my side. I'll now hand it over to Chuck Grande to speak about munis. Thanks, Anders. Much appreciated. So uh, Anthony started the call-offs just saying the month of August was a challenge, and certainly that was the case for the muni market. Um, right up until August, uh, the performance within the muni market had been greatly positive throughout most of the first half of the year. Um, but the hopes for positive performance to continue through August did not hold out. Three main factors were working against uh, the muni market in particular. We still had positive but waning reinvestment needs. Um, if you go and you look at Lippers reporting for uh, mutual funds during the month of August, um, you begin to see these, these outflows, $990 million outflow the first week of August, followed by a $264 million outflow and a $534 million outflow in the mid-weeks uh, of August. So certainly reinvestment needs um, began to wane in the month of August, and yet um, we just had a steady new issuance supply calendar, um, which is somewhat unusual because typically as we get to those last couple of weeks in August, uh, public officials um, you know, are, are on vacation also, and you see this issuance drop off. So the technicals went against the muni market at the exact same time. Um, fixed income markets ex experienced extreme volatility as Treasury rates um, moved just absolutely higher across the board. Um, that was a, an additional problem for the muni market in August. And then finally, I would say investors may have just seen the darker clouds of negative performance coming in the fall, where the market definitely flips. We see technicals go against the muni market as there's much less reinvestment demand um, for the month of September and October. All these factors combined to produce a Bloomberg Municipal Index uh, negative performance of 144 basis points for the month of August. That loss experienced in August marked the second worst return for any August, um, barring uh, uh, except for August of 2022, when munis gave up 219 basis points. The underperformance year-to-date um, had an impact, but we're still positive on the year-to-date performance, 159 basis points, or 1.59% for the year. Uh, the underperformance changed the value metric in the muni market. According to Bloomberg data, all muni treasury ratios finished the month of August higher. Um, when we look at it, we still believe munis are on the rich side of the equation, rich to fair value, but with absolute yields being so high, um, they're at a level where transactions can take place. The two-year ratio finished at a close to 65% of treasuries where at the end of the month, where it started the month at 59% of treasuries, the five-year ratio moved from 67% um, from 61.4%. Uh, and the 10-year ratio actually had a six-ratio move, one of the worst performing areas of the market, um, moving to 69.3% of treasuries versus starting the month at 63.3%. The 30-year ratio still represents the greatest value in the market. Unfortunately, it comes with uh, the greatest duration, which investors are avoiding. Um, but it moved at least to 91.1% of treasuries from 87.5%. So 
the value is there in the muni market. I think what's really driving the transactions that are taking place in the market are just absolute yields that we haven't seen in a very long time, and investors desire to lock in these yields at this stage of the game. Uh, when we look at the curve uh, itself um, for the month of August, as one might expect, the front end of the curve did much better than the long end of the curve, where we saw underperformance in the long bond index of almost 2.5%. And um, underperformance in the 20-year uh, index of two uh, percent flat. Um, still, the underperformance in the long bond index in August wasn't enough to eliminate the gains achieved earlier in the year. Year to date, the long bond index remains the best performing area of the curve, with a return of 2.66 percent. The front end of the municipal curve uh, remains inverted. This has been for approximately the last month, at least. Um, where investors uh, can achieve yields in one to three years at levels that then become available 10 years out on the curve. So in one to three years, you can achieve a yield in excess of 3%, 3 to 3.25%, whereas the next time you're going to pick up any yield resembling that is going to be 10 years longer. This is really dictating our position in the market as it has been for much of the year. Um, we continue to favor a barbell positioning, um, using variable rate demand notes prior to um, this uh, occurrence of the inversion of the curve, we had been solely using variable, variable demand uh, notes along with positions out longer on the curve. Um, the change for us is we're continuing to use these notes and we're actually using one to three year maturities combined with long paper beyond 12 years to get the desired uh, duration, combined duration that it is that we're looking for. The RDNs continue, continue to be at uh, record elevated levels in August, topping out at 4.47%, surpassing the highs of July. Um, they're average, they average 3.66% for the month and have averaged 3.19% year to date. So still an attractive cash-like vehicle that is still providing tax-free income to clients' portfolios. I think one of the interesting things uh, that we looked at during the month is just what's been occurring with the performance of some of the states out there. If you were to look at two of the poster children of just um, poor performance, higher yields um, in the past, um, what you discover is the state of Illinois is the best performing state year to date with a return of 3.12%, followed by the state of New Jersey, just another poster child of just bad performance, now demonstrating good performance. New Jersey's uh, state of New Jersey bonds returned 2.83% uh, year to date. And we would attribute this to just much better economic performance, better revenue generation, and in general, um, just market spread compression uh, taking place. Uh, two high-tax states um, in which we run um, state-only strategies, the state of California, if we look at that paper, which has perennially been some of the richest paper trading in the muni market today, um, uh, the state of California paper produced a return that's only slightly better than the market return with a 1.67% return. Um, New York paper, another high-tax state, is better. It has a much more respectable 2% return um, year-to-date. Um, one of the things that we've talked about, written about in the past, has just been this overabundance of Texas school paper in the market. Um, and, you know, during the summer, we saw extraordinarily ish, extraordinarily large issuance from Texas schools, um, and we attribute um, uh, 
the issuance really is just growth within the state of Texas that it's experienced over the number of years. And then finally, school districts having to um, pay to enlarge their school district and ability to handle the student overlong, overload. But when you look at the performance of Texas paper, it's actually produced a year-to-date return um, sub-1%, 0.81% um, for the year. Um, that lack of performance really to us is, is just an overabundance of the paper. It's not credit related. Um, and what we're finding is that in order for Texas school district bonds that carry a wrapped rating of AAA, in order for that paper to clear the market uh, and attract buyers, um, they've had to price the deals cheaper with higher yields. And we've just taken full advantage of the abundance of this paper um, because it's just the highest rated paper with really some very, very cheap levels um, and additional yield that you're being paid for um, just to clear the market, not for any additional credit risk. Uh, September thus far has been a bit of a bumpy ride. Um, we haven't seen issuance tick up that greatly with uh, just coming out of the holiday week last week, but we do expect it to be volatile. We think munis look uh, attractive on a relative value basis. We think that the absolute yields able to achieve on both the pre- and post-tax basis uh, are quite high and definitely bear looking at, um, and definitely would recommend uh, any points of volatility for serious consideration as an entry point to the asset class. With that, I will turn it back to Anthony. Thanks, Chuck. Very uh, great thorough uh, backdrop of, of unis thus far. Um, <coughs> I'll, I'll end it here real, uh, if I might, with just a closing uh, sort of comment or two. Um, and it's really just about, you know, I think what you've heard here were, you know, um, highest level of rates in, in a long time, right? And, and I think that many of the discussions that I have, my team has, and we all as the PM team um, has with clients and, and advisors is, is now, you know, a good time to invest. And, and should we be taking on duration? You heard that quite a bit. Uh, about when to take this on, I think for the, for the first part is is now a good time. I think I think Chuck just said it best, right? Um, um, and I think everyone on the PM call we feel the same way. It's about legging into the market um, at these rates is a good thing. And we spoke about this on our last call. Is that when we experience what we call again, let's just say those air pockets uh, in the markets where we see pronounced or fairly good pullbacks in rates then we should be taking advantage of and looking to put some money to work. Dave Vignolo, the corporate bond manager, mentioned five and a half, five and three quarter IG yields. It's historically been a very attractive energy point. When it comes to the duration question, taking on duration, um, I would say this. I point them to a great piece. There's a recent piece published by our CIO, Fixed Income Strategist piece, uh, entitled Preparing for a Pause, right? Obviously, a very timely discussion. Uh, and what this piece does highlight is, is a bit of history, right? It's a history of annualized returns three months before a pause by the Fed and then three, six, and nine months after the pause. So if what I mentioned earlier is that the market, at least for now, appears to be that there's just maybe one more hike and then a pause – then from a historical perspective, now or the weeks or months ahead could could be a good time to think about taking on that duration because the returns are fairly attractive, right? Uh, and taking on duration does not mean taking on taking all your short-term bonds and moving them all into long-term. It's legging in, and it also does not necessarily have to mean going out five or ten years. It could simply mean moving from a money market fund into a one- to three-year type of duration, little by little. All right. I highly recommend you, you get your hands on that piece called Preparing for Pause. With that, um, thank you so much again for tuning in. We look forward to sharing our, our thoughts with you on our next call in October. Stay well. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.